This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 23rd, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Nominal GDP targeting would, some economists hope, rein in some of the Fed's currently unmoored discretion. David Beckworth is one of those economists. He's a former Treasury official and a professor of economics at Western Kentucky University. We spoke last week. Scott Sumner, uh, one of your colleagues, has argued uh, vociferously, and I think Tyler Cowen is sort of on board in Mm -hmm. terms of uh, Mercatus folks who are on the bandwagon of uh, nominal GDP targeting. Mm -hmm. And, And part of the argument for that is that market expectations will play an outsized role in what those NGDP targets actually are. Yes. Um, the target would actually be set by the Fed, but it would be operationalized by what the market thought was happening um, in terms of growth going forward. So if the Federal Reserve set a nominal GDP target of 5%, it would issue futures contracts um, where it would trade at a certain price where it hoped nominal GDP would go. And based on that, if, if the market thought, for example, that nominal GDP which is just another way of saying total dollar spending. If it was going to be below target, then uh, the Fed would be creating more money through those targets automatically. People would be selling to the Fed, and the Fed would be buying them and injecting money to the economy. And that would increase the amount of monetary base and fuel and increase in spending until it got to the target. And then vice versa, if it was above, it would be pulling money out through these future contracts. But the key point of it is, is that market participants would instigate the buying and the selling with the Fed. The Fed wouldn't itself do open market market operations on its own. Market participants would come and buy and sell these future contracts based on what they thought was happening. And so the money supply would actually increase and decrease based on what investors thought would happen. And, And that's key because when there's a panic, it's because the market thinks things are wrong, they're gonna run on the bank, they're gonna run on the financial system. And so if they think the economy is headed over the cliff, they would quickly run to the Fed, they would sell these contracts, they would get you know, this infusion of cash, and it would stabilize matters. So it would be as if monetary policy is being set by the market. A prediction market. A prediction market, right. And that's the beauty of a nominal GDP futures proposal that Scott Sumner has laid out. Um, it would almost put the Fed on autopilot. All right. So uh, does it technically remove the Fed from the switch, in in a sense? Yes. In a, in a practical sense, yes. The Fed would lose almost all discretion. Well, not, not quite. It, the Fed would still have to set the actual target. So if they wanted 5% nominal GDP growth, that's something they would set. But again, the actual implementation of it would be almost completely done by the market. So we could have debates still over what's the appropriate target growth rate for total dollar spending. Once, so there's going to be some discretion there. Maybe Congress weighs in. Maybe it becomes a political football. Who knows? But a target is set. But after that, it's all automated. Um, and you would see, pres- presumably, a reduction in, in the size and, and scale of the Fed as an institution in terms of staff, buildings. Um, you wouldn't have all this attention that's currently given whenever there's an FOMC meeting, which I'm guilty of. So whenever Janet Yellen has a press conference afterwards, I'm right there on Bloomberg TV with my Twitter account and, 
you know, parsing every word she says. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be, you know, trying to divine the in, inner thoughts of these Fed officials. We sh- it should be kind of a, a rule-based um, approach that has market forces involved in it. You talked about the role of Congress here. You and uh, m- many other economists have uh, what I would call practical objections to a classical gold standard or even a, a, a international gold standard. Mm-hmm. But in, uh, in GDP targeting, Congress does have to acquiesce in some ways mm-hmm. to uh, allow that to continue Right, so the 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 impulse of Congress, of course, is to spend more, more nominally, and uh, if possible, more in real terms at almost every stage of the game. So, what is required of Congress in order to back them away from the process of crafting yet further regulations that would uh, uh, nullify parts of the promise of NGDP targeting? They'd have to do something similar to what they have done today, and that is to give some independence um, to the Fed. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. The Fed is a creation of Congress. It's a political machine. It's it's something that can be changed. So the Fed would have to have you know the ability to, to implement these these rules, um, the, these contracts, uh, with independence and and not have Congress tinker with that. So I think the the framework we have today is 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 a in a step in the right direction, but we'd have to change maybe the dual mandate. Um, Which seemingly everybody has a problem with. It does, yes. However, there have been people who... who Explain that very quickly. Okay, the, the dual, dual mandate, mandate is uh, set forth a law by Congress that the Fed has to aim to stabilize both prices and minimize the business cycle. So keep the economy at full employment, not too hot, not too cold, but also keep prices relatively stable which in theory sounds nice and practice is very difficult to do. And they haven't. I mean, to be clear, over the 20th century is a pretty bad record of price stability. The, yes, there is. And, and now there's de- different definitions of what price stability. And Fed officials maybe would say, well, we, we maintain inflation stability, which is true. So since, for example, 2009, after the bottom of the crisis, inflation has been 1.5%. In fact, it's been relatively stable. Um, but... In terms of the entire century, you're absolutely right. And in fact, George Selgin here, your, your colleague, has written a great paper along with Larry White and William Lestraps that compared the pre-Fed to the post-Fed period. And there's not statistically a, a strong case that can be made that we're any better off. Um, there are certain periods within this past century that have been better than others. The great moderation. There's certain things we can look to that Fed has done a better job, but... Um, for sure, the, the monetary instability uh, during the past century was not the great hope that came along with the creation of the Federal Reserve. It was supposed to be an end of business cycles. And, of course, the biggest example of that where it failed was the Great Depression. But the Great Recession, I think, is another good example um, where the Fed failed to do what it was supposed to do. The most interesting element to me here is the, the idea that uh, these futures contracts would allow investors to make wagers, as investors are inevitably always doing, mm-hmm. about the direction of the economy, and that that would somehow uh, limit or uh, alter the rate of growth in the money supply. Can you help yes. explain some of the mechanics of that? Yes. So, a couple of things. First, when the economy is, is moving forward, and we think about the stance of monetary policy. It's easy to say, oh, the federal funds rate is 2%, it's 4%, maybe it's 0%, and think that's 
what monetary policy is about. But really, it's much more than that. It's about where we think the economy is going to go and what the Fed is going to do in response to that. So if we think, for example, the economy is going to be overheating in the future, it affects my decision today. I might buy more things today because I think they'll be more expensive in the future. Or if I think we're heading into a recession, I might start saving more, being more careful. And so when the Fed sets policy, what really matters is the future path, not just where we are today. The futures contract is based off that idea. It's where will nominal GDP or total dollar spending be a year from now or six months from now. And if that objective is not being met, if the economy is going over the cliff, there's increase in the demand for money, it's not being spent readily, then there'll be money to be made by people in the market racing to the Fed. And so when they, let's do that case. So if there's an increase in money demand, and uh, people run to the Fed, the Fed stands ready either to buy or sell these future contracts at a certain price that's consistent with their target, all right? So people would run to the Fed, they'd say, ha, 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 we're going to make some money off of you, and they start selling you know, these contracts to the Fed. What does the Fed have to do? It says, we'll, we'll buy them, and, and it starts selling them. So if I'm the Fed, you're the market, I'm gonna, you're selling me these contracts because I've agreed to do it. I'm injecting money to you. And you keep buying that contract until you realize, oh, goodness, they're injecting money, and now nominal GDP will be back on track, and now it's not worth my efforts to try to get this. And, and on the flip side of that, if we're growing too hot, people will be um, going to the Fed, and the, and the Fed will be doing the opposite process, will be pulling money out because the Fed sends ready to buy or to sell. And again, that's key. You're, what you're doing is you're managing expectations of the market, where the market thinks the economy is going in terms of money demand and money supply. And by doing that, <clears throat> you're directly responding to you know, what we think is, is the key reason that central banks cause problems. They, they, they distort money supply, money demand interactions. How does that change fiscal policy? Could be one of the one of the big criticisms of the current Fed is that it's enabled profligate spending, enabled a great deal of spending on wars, among other things. How does that process limit Congress's ability or make more costly Congress's attempts to spend more money? Well, what it would do is, to, to the extent Congress's actions affect total spending, it, the Fed would offset them. I mean, it, you know, to the extent if, if, if we went to war, and again, this you know, may beg the question, is the Fed truly independent? But if we assume, for the sake of argument, the Fed's independent and can do its own thing, which may be a strong assumption, um, the Fed would offset it. The, you know, the Fed says, we're going to keep total dollar spending stable no matter what, and we're not going to care what's driving, what's its velocity because of the private sector, it's government spending. So if there was this ramp up in government spending, the Fed would offset that to keep from things growing too fast. Um, on the flip side, if, if, if government spending fell dramatically and, and Keynesians were you know, concerned, oh, the economy's going to crash, well, they could take comfort in this too. We'll say, look, that doesn't matter. We're going to keep spending stable no matter what happens to the composition of it. In fact, one of the points of nominal GDP targeting, whether it's a futures market or not, is it pulls the Fed back from trying to play God and divine what's going on in the economy. So right now, when we have a change in inflation, for example, it could be because the supply side, oil's gotten more expensive, there's a war, there's things that fundamentally alter the productive capacity of the economy, and central banks shouldn't respond to that. If inflation goes up because of a demand shock, people are spending too much, banks are creating too much money, the Fed should respond to that. that in theory, that's the textbook story. In real time, 
it's hard to know. Why is inflation changing? So a good example of this would have been in early to, early to mid-2000s during the housing boom. Inflation was dropping fairly fast. The Fed got worried, and it, it, you know, it, it injected lots of money. This is the period when rates were too low for too long. It helped fuel the housing boom. And it did so, in my view, because it misread what was causing the low inflation pressures. So what actually happened, if you go back between 2002 and 2004, it was a massive productivity boom. Rapid gains, technology, opening up of Asia. And that was putting downward price pressures, which are fine. They're benign. Ignore them. The Fed freaked out, stepped in to bring inflation back up, and it shouldn't have done that. So. If you go to a nominal GDP target, you avoid that confusion, that, that knowledge problem that Hayek talked about. Central bankers don't know enough to, to determine what's causing price changes. So focus simply on spending, and then all the real shocks and changes underneath can sort themselves out. All right. C plus I plus G, the classic uh, formulation of what uh, composes uh, GDP. Mm-hmm. What's to if the government is spending too much, and essentially, does does nominal GDP mean that the government spending would be crowding out consumer spending and investment spending? If yeah, if if another way of saying this is, you know, GDP. You gave the uh, expenditure identity, you know, the C plus I plus G, and if there's foreign sector net exports, that's also equal to M plus V, money supply plus velocity. So, yeah, the Fed would be. Keeping M plus V reined in, and so whatever's happening to those components on the expenditure side, if G's going up, something else would have to be going down. But that that again becomes a problem for Congress. That's not something the Fed should be worried about. Again, if the Fed gets into that, we've got bigger problems to worry about than than what type of target it's following. So the Fed should do no harm. Should be kind of one of its goals, and the best way to do that, in my view, is to keep. Total dollar spending, a nominal measure on a stable growth path, and let everything else be sorted out by the marketplace, or if Congress is having problems with spending, let them sort it out. Um, and, and if they do that, you know, I won't be on Twitter. I won't be on Bloomberg TV watching every word that Janet Yellen says like I do now. David Beckworth is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. This month marks 10 years of the Cato Daily Podcast. Subscribe and share at cato.org slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.